beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. Yeah. I just knew he was freaking out. He was, he was going inward. <laughs> uh, okay. So Sammy recorded that whole conversation. He did, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's being quiet. <laughs> I learned... Um, You'd appreciate this as uh, two filmmakers. So I learned um, Clint Eastwood when he was doing a lot of those cowboy movies back in the day. They couldn't call like action in the clapper and all that stuff because it was too much noise and would startle the horses. And so what the directors did back in the day was they had a little signal and then they would then quietly begin recording the scenes and stuff like that. So Clint Eastwood still does that. He still does that? Yeah. Even I don't think I'd like to hang out with him on set. Yeah. He's You always have to be on guard. Like... Come on, man! Everybody, just chill out for a minute and, and wait for the clapper. Like, so everybody has to wait for Clint Eastwood's cue. Is that? Is that there is no cue though. So, because even he'll shoot sometimes rehearsals as well, and he's like, "Let's just pretend we're blocking," or let's like, he lies a lot. <laughs> and he just he records clandestinely, mm -hmm. right? So to kind of catch some sort of realism, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And given his age, I'm assuming he's the type that would like to shoot on film. So he must be burning through that film money. Yeah. You know? What's well, not his money though? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is Clint Eastwood. I think he could afford it. Yeah. Did you guys? How was the process for you guys? You guys prefer shooting on like digital, or you prefer film, or you don't have a choice anymore? Oh, we. I mean, I mean I'm stepping up. I'm going to show my age. I shot on film, and it is bloody expensive, and I don't think it's necessary at this stage. You know, I know there's some filmmakers, I think like Christopher Nolan, he prefers to shoot film. on film. Yeah, he likes 35 mil. Yeah, and you know, that 35 mil takes 35 mil. So does uh, Tarantino. <laughs> he sh Oh, no, he sh I think he shot on a 50 for this. I don't oh, know. Oh, no, I 70. Mean, 70? Yeah. Like people are going nuts. So, but regardless, it's expensive. It's for Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah, but that's 70. So I guess if we had the choice, would we? Would we? If we had... A Financial backing. What would you do? No, hell no. No, you you want the security of knowing that you could keep rolling, and you would store all that footage. That what Sammy did earlier back in the old days would cost a lot. Just and he would have to consciously think about the cost. There's all these. Your brain is directed towards other things as opposed to just the film. And I feel mm -hmm. like with digital, you're you could be focused on the film 24/7 because you could just let it keep rolling but do you feel like there's a difference in warmth or in the actual texture? no and and i could say as an audience member I, I that i cannot tell the difference between film and digital and if i do notice the difference it's not it, it won't be me going out of my way saying i gotta watch this film because it's, it's on film i would have to agree i think you know for me at least you know uh at this stage of my career uh you know the digital realm is so freeing you know, just because of the financial constraints are not there or not as bad as, and it's just, you know, it gives, I think it gives us more freedom to experiment actually without the cost. Yeah. There's no penalty. <clears throat> exactly. And the quality of, um, we shot it at 6K, which is more than adequate. You know, uh, cinemas these days at most are a equipped with 2K. The TIFF light box is equipped with 4K. There is no television out there that could play the footage that we just recorded. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we could access that and we could keep it rolling and that the quality difference between that and 35 mil to me has no difference is a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Well, Phil, you also made a good point too where you said the audience can't tell the difference. I remember when uh, DVDs first started coming out, they would have, especially in places like Walmart, which is kind of speaks to the audience, but the they would say like the for the letterbox, like the black boxes should be there. 
they had stickers and telling them that they were there, there wasn't a mistake or they couldn't remove them or anything like that. So I think there is a certain level of, I guess, ignorance, for lack of a better word, with the audience in terms like they just want to see a good movie. They don't care about the 70 millimeter or anything like that. And yeah, and you just look at YouTube. The, the, the image, like some of the footage on there of stuff that people record, uh, it's just garbage, actually. But it still gets the numbers, right? People are not interested as much in the visual quality as much as the sort of machine is trying the to make The economy them think that of China is. has spoken by when during DVDs came out, this. The, the mafia, the underground economy decided to make these things called VCDs, which are ter terrible, very pixelated movies, but you could buy them on the street for $1.99, $2, and they would take off faster in China than DVDs because people just don't care about video quality. And then the other one was, too, the guy who would go in with a camcorder. The old school, and we sit there record, and you see the shadow get of a person get up and walk yeah. to yeah. the right. Yeah, so good. Or when he gets a little tired <laughs> an hour in, and then it starts to get a little shaky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could still tolerate it sometimes. Actually, I, I, I wouldn't mind. There was a, if you get the DVD, if you buy the DVD of Euro Trip, there's an extra feature in there in which you could watch the entire movie back, but through a, a person's camcorder. Oh, That's yeah. Awesome. It's <laughs> that's a nice little treat. That's really hilarious. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to sabotage that. No, but we are happy that we shot in six K. Uh, you know, because I think for this, our the film for us is a bit of a um, a portfolio piece. Um, something that uh, it's an idea that we really care about, but also we kind of want to use it to sort of pitch, so that we can get an opportunity to pitch our other ideas and that sort of stuff. I mean, get the foot in the door. Get the foot in the door, and or we wanted it to or be crowbar the door open. Yeah, and we you know we wanted to be the best quality possible yeah i think one part of uh, our conversation before making this film was let's push this as high as possible so that it has the longest shelf life mm -hmm. and also it's it's good for us to see how far we could push our quality of, of work did so, you succeed oh hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> I listen think so. to, uh, kudos to tony edgar who is our cinematographer we, um, when we first brought him on board, we we were really confident that he could give us anything that that he said he would he would give us. Like we we actually, I'm sort of saying this story backwards. Sure. We set up office in the cafeteria of the AGO. That's, that's a nice office. That's a nice office space. Um, we were there for a good couple of months, and we'd interview uh, crew members there, and Tony was one of them. Uh huh. And he would, uh, he was, he was a very confident man. He would, he would, he would lean back in his chair, and then, and then he says, "Well, I'm here. Ask me anything." <laughs> like, well, like okay. I thought we were the one offering him the yeah. game. <laughs> and uh, and then we 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 brought up a few styles uh, that we we liked. And we hope, given the the restricted budget that we have, that we could emulate. And uh, Jerome and I really liked um, darker looking, very dramatic light lit films. Um, so things like the social network and uh, David Fincher movies that we really liked and uh, and certain sci-fi movies or shows that we really liked and so when we told him David Fincher he he just goes whatever you want whatever you want no problem and that was it that it, was it didn't break a sweat yo that's fresh though <laughs> and you know what's funny when we were coloring the film at the end because we got to actually see it in a color studio with a proper monitor we were like damn, this looks like social network. Like, he yeah. really did a good job at capturing the essence of what we wanted. Yeah. yeah. I guess with DPs, it's really tricky, and this is the first time I'm, uh, I guess, working with somebody I haven't worked with before. Is, is you, you, it's, it's, you know, it's a crapshoot. You, you really don't know what, what you're getting until the day of the shoot, and you don't know how the chemistry is. And because 
uh, they're also relatively a lot more expensive than everybody else on the crew, you don't really have them for a lot of days before the shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, they're off in another country shooting something else, they're off doing another project. Um, so I, we, we put all our faith in this into <laughs> into him and his incredible muscles, and uh, it seemed to pay off. I'm speaking with um, actually. Why don't you just introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm Jerome Skeet, friend of Sammy Yuna, and I've known Sammy for a very long time. Oh, yo, we're getting to the dirt already. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're from Scarborough, mm-hmm. so we got a lot of tales to tell. Yo, perhaps been, another day. Uh, what has it been? Ten years? Fifteen years? Twenty years? <laughs> I think it was like twenty years since high school. Oh man! Let's move on from yeah, this topic no, now. No, 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 no. Let's keep. It. So, uh, so, did you share any girlfriends? Has there been any like rival, romantic rivalries uh, between the both of you? Uh, the only romantic rivalries have been uh, with comics. I, I would say it's probably comic books. Yes, that's the only thing that uh, uh, stands between us. Yes, <laughs> Bruce Wayne. Yeah, foiled again. And next to you, Jerome is. Uh, I'm Philip Lung, the co-director and co-writer of uh, Hum, and enemies of Jerome and Sammy Yunnan. Okay, oh, oh, the, oh, the right, lines have right. been drawn. You know why? Because yeah. I'm from North York. Oh, I'm representing oh. that part of the town. All right, uh, it's gonna be a nice <laughs> little battle royale. <laughs> I guess I should say that I am the co-director and co-writer of Hum. I didn't say that as well, but yeah, Phil, Phil and I worked on this together, and we worked on a, a previous film uh, called The Lonely Monster. That one was at the Toronto Urban Film Festival. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It won for Best Local Film last year, which kind of uh, gave us the incentive to keep working together this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's you, all you, you survived the creative process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need incentives. Although, like. to be honest, can I ask you this, Jerome? If there was no incentive, if, the, if there was no prize for this film, if there was no catalyst saying, you know, you will be rewarded some money to make the next film. Would we keep working together? Uh, you know, that's a very good question. I've thought that myself, too, actually, you know. And I, I think the mystery will remain forever. <laughs> that's a no. Never that's know. an obvious no. Come no, on. no, 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 because I should be asking you that question. I, th- I think it would be a yes, but I think it would have taken a little longer. Yeah. I think it would have been... I think it would have been until like a year, maybe yeah, a little longer of like missing you, missing hanging out with you, thinking <laughs> 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 about you. Yeah, 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 and then and then the blood gets boiling again. Yeah, I think the, the 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 prize that was given to us, the Toronto Urban Film Festival, which was a, a nice sponsorship from William F. White and from the Drake Hotel, was uh, certainly excelled the process of this film yeah and you know just to, for a little bit of backstory um after we did the lonely monster phil and i wrote a script uh, it was about 40 pages or so right uh called burnout and that's a prod the project we were thinking about starting and that basically sort of fizzled out and then we were sort of like oh well i guess we won't be talking to each other for a bit and then we won this <laughs> prize, and we're like, "Oh, well, fate has brought us together again. So let's let's do a film together." And I, and I have to say, I mean, it, it's it's uh, you you know, it's it's funny because we we enjoy working together, you know, uh, and it's it's so pleasant. I I go, I like, I I think that's the big reason. And it's very little to do with actually the reward or the or the money. It's it's oh, I like waking up really early in the morning and checking in myself to the AGO for eight hours. Uh, a day facing Jerome, you know, which is a little strange, but it worked. So you guys are like the uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon of Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> we but are like one from Scarborough, one from North York. 
It's almost yeah. like a sitcom. Can these opposites <laughs> attract? And can they work together? We are the Harold and Kumar of. Oh, there yeah. you go. That's a better one. Yeah. <laughs> How did you guys initially started working together, and like, why did? What was the decision behind that? I I could say from my perspective, which is I I was a researcher on uh, George Shamlapas tonight, and sometimes I contributed. I, I was a really hungry. Uh, a, a researcher on the show who also wanted to, to help out with the writing and uh, I think and oftentimes I'd do writing on my own and trying to put something together after work and Jerome would sometimes see me writing at the food court and then I would call him over and he would walk over and then I'd and I'd, and I'd throw these wild ideas at him and he would he wouldn't he wouldn't keep he wouldn't go uh, okay nice to, uh, I gotta go home bye and and leave he would hang around an empty food court and challenge these stories that's from Scarborough that's <laughs> many an hour spent in the food court yeah <laughs> yeah and and the more I talked to Jerome and, and he also introduced me to a few books on storytelling that um that that I go I gotta keep talking to this guy he's so much fun to talk to and he's he's not running away from the ideas that I'm throwing at him. So I think over time, I think I was able to secretly convince him to to make a film with me. You know, from my perspective, I was on Strombo. Too. I wore him down. Sorry, that's the, the bottom line. <clears throat> I was uh, the headline producer, and uh, there was some very long hours on that show, uh, and a lot of time spent in the food court scrounging for food. Um, but the, <laughs> this is uh, like an uh, apocalypse <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. It was pretty close. You know, the, the, the show was great, and everyone was great on it. It was just very long hours. You know, a daily show is that's just a, a really hard grind. But um, but the thing that I noticed about film wa- uh, Phil was uh, the ideas that he had, There's like the story ideas, uh, that, um, you know, I, some of the ideas that he threw out were very Twilight Zone-ish. And, I, you know, I dig that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, this sounds like, you know, I'm interested in, t- in talking with him. And he has a great, great, great ideas and stuff, I guess. But, you know, it wasn't until uh, I think we sort of jammed about the Lonely Monster that I was like, hey, you know what? Let's let's give this a shot and let's, you know, let's see where this this goes. The stakes were so low too. It was a it was a one minute film, uh, but we decided to pour two days of shooting into a one minute film and two thousand dollars, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, but I think it was just we just sort of clicked and we kind of enjoyed the ideas that we were coming up with, and it seemed worth it. Like you know, it seemed like something that w- was worth our while. I'm a big fan of process and. If, process is fun and i think it's worthwhile and i think that's a really important point because what i as far as uh, this the hum, hum is concerned one of the most like memorable things i have uh-huh. is meeting uh every week at the java uh hut uh-huh. on uh, queen street with phil jamming out ideas and eating an avocado sandwich and having uh you know Yo. chickpea soup you know like that's 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 that what it's tasty. all about yeah and it's really about the experiences because otherwise filmmaking is a very hard it can be a very hard and strenuous experience mm-hmm. but it's these enjo- these are the things for me at least that make make it enjoyable uh is is just getting to know somebody and just talking about ideas yeah. so for you guys it's more the creative you're happy with the creative process rather than necessarily the output we d- obviously the output is the the, the final the, the king the, the 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 one that brings home the bacon i mean that to us is obviously, and there is like an adage, and I don't know, I don't know if this is true. I mean, I heard in a podcast that um, if it's a happy set, then it's a bad film. You know, uh, like if if the writer hears about production and they and they hear that oh, uh, the production went smoothly, then the writer's gonna be like, damn, they ruined my film. Mm. Now I don't know if this is true or not, but it's it kind of worries me too because I I kind of want to have it all. Why can't we have a very happy set in a good film? You know? 
Mm-hmm. But I, yes, ultimately, I think, sorry, the content is king. And it doesn't matter what we say or do. <laughs> it's the film that will end up paying the bills or or getting us to that next um, uh, bracket of making longer films. Mm-hmm. And so you start off with uh, The Lonely Monster. And that's uh, a minute. And that was collaborative and fun. And you didn't kill each other. And you enjoyed working in the food court. And now you graduate and you decide you're going to do Hum. How did Hum start to kind of come about? It was uh, at a Denny's in November, and uh, we were both wearing long johns uh, by then. Uh, just Another bonding point. <laughs> yes. We, I guess we talked about themes, um, and also we decided not to write anything down for the first three months. So we just wanted to keep talking and talking until these ideas are just like burned in our heads. Like the same way Jay-Z would rap. Jay-Z is always like, yo, if my rhymes are good enough, I don't have to mem- I don't have to write them down. So this is kind of our philosophy. Is that a direct Jay-Z quote? I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> verbatim. That was actually Jay-Z in the studio. Yeah. But uh, the more we kept talking, the more ideas that stuck in our head. Every time we meet up, we would talk about these same themes. And the two themes, I guess, that were prominent were uh, hipsters <laughs> um, that we thought, especially in Toronto, there's a generation of, I think, people that are overly privileged and 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 music, and I think, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so we tried to combine those two together and make trying to figure out a story of how to combine music and and this generation of um, spoiled hipsters, which is not true because everybody here works hard, but it's it's just a caricature that we decided to make. Just to add to that, you know, the character that we started making a lot of this was. Um, uh, Phil really pushed this, which was really great. Is the I, the concept of making um, uh, a character that is unsympathetic? Um, I found that to be uh, uh, very intriguing um, because why should a character always be like, "Oh, I like this guy," blah 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 blah. Like, how many people do we meet out there that we really like, apart from our friends? You know, and the idea of making an unsympathetic character seemed a lot more real to me, and I thought that was a, r- a really interesting challenge to write write a, a script about a character that's not likable. That goes back again to the uh, creative process, right? And trying to figure out and having these little challenges. I do think, you know, when the audience hangs around, um, part of that creative process is talking about how do we make this person likable? And I do think if, you, if there's an audience member that stares at this character long enough and those motivations are real and very genuine, that the audience will always sympathize with the villain that robs <coughs> the bank, you know? With, for their children, the, 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 yeah, I mean, Suicide Squad. People already can't wait to watch a group of people uh, mass murdering uh, innocent <laughs> civilians, you know? So I, yes. I think, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, I, I think you could make any character likable, but we, we decided to start him off from a very unlikable position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you talked about uh, one of the themes that you, you were, Phil, you were saying was music that was kind of coming up. And music did kind of survive. I don't know necessarily about the hipster or the that kind of thing survived into the creation of Hum. Did it or was it? I You know, I, I think in essence, uh, what it, we were trying to do is zero in on a certain culture. The idea of a young person who has a little bit of privilege and has a goal that they want and is very self-centered on that goal, you know. Um, and that's sort of part of part of what the character was about, and that survived. Um, yeah, I think, like, the artistic process is a very selfish process. You know, you're, you're on your own. You're not sharing with anyone. You're, you're, you're making something of no um, economic value. So, yeah, that's, that, is, uh, that is something that survived in the film. But I think what didn't survive was the, the music. I think we, 
you know the I guess the indie music scene in Toronto is is already I think in films has already been played out a lot in soundtracks and things like that. So we tried to find a genre of music in this film that's a little different. So we chose the blues, um, you know, Whiplash and uh, and um, uh, the 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 Coen Brothers movie. Oh, brother, um, without no. no um, um, the uh, we could go on forever, but the Lewin Davis inside Lewin Davis, yeah, yeah. Davis. yeah, yeah. You know, there's folk music, there's jazz music, but there hasn't really been blues. So mm-hmm. we just thought, let's try, let's try old Southern blues uh, as the genre in this film. So we're talking about hum, and this is how would you guys explain it? So for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, um, explain or give a little description of what this short film is about. Sure, Hum, uh, the premise is uh, uh, the protagonist named Drayden, and he's uh, given this wonderful opportunity of a lifetime uh, to write a hit single for a record label. Um, the thing is, he's got to write this thing in 24 hours. That's all he's given. Um, the only thing that's getting in his way, though, is his grandfather, who has uh, dementia, uh, who's, uh, who's always constantly getting in the way of his creative process. Uh, so you could understand how, in one hand, you're presented with this great opportunity, but on the other hand, it sucks because somebody's getting in my way. Um, during the, f- the making of this process, too, we spoke to so many young caregivers, and that has always been their biggest struggle, which is, um, you know, we spoke to a, a young Ph.D. student who is thinking about, you know, progressing his career to move into Ottawa, but his father has uh, dementia, and, um, so he might have to stay back home, and this is something I think a lot of young caregivers, stru- caregivers struggle with. You know? And that was also the other big theme, is the plight of the caregiver, um, that, you know, as, as the population ages, there's a lot more younger people who are taking care of their parents and grandparents. And we thought that it was something that hasn't been really tapped yet, story-wise. You know, sure, there's been films like um, uh, the Alice. About, um, still, still Alice. Alice. Still, yeah, yeah. So, um, still away Alice. Away from her, I think. Uh, away from, away her, from her. Yeah. Um, that was Sarah Pauly's. Uh, mm-hmm. She directed that one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But what about from the perspective of the caregiver? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a story that we thought... W- hadn't been told so putting aside the the, the, we'll come back to the dementia and the caregiver perspective for a second but i want to pick up on the theme of um the creative person and the roadblocks that they have to encounter Um, because i found that part really real as as a fellow creative person like i don't necessarily have that person like a grandpa or whatever was in the way but there's always these little roadblocks these times and these demands for my attention and things like that that kind of distract from uh, the creative process. And was that kind of part what you guys were also kind of funneling into, just having that kind of experience as creative people? You mean personally? Personally, yeah. what we were experiencing creatively? Like yeah. In the process? I think that just came out in the writing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the scenarios that were created, I think that just came out of <laughs> us talking to each other, like, what's the worst thing that could happen to this character right now? Okay, let's choose this option. Um, we... I mean, we ran up through a few musicians as opposed to to suggest is this realistic or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think to us, yeah, it's really no different than uh, writing or uh, any other form of composing. You are you are either on your own or, but you're you're not doing anything for anyone, and everybody else is kind of demanding your time because they probably don't see the amount of work that you're putting into it. Yeah, and I think also another thing is uh, you'd figure that with two people working on one idea or something like a film where it's supposed to be like, you know, a film is very much like uh, a thought form. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, it's a visualization of, of, of a thought in someone's head. And to have, uh, how can you have two people working on one thought form? And share, really, it's a sharing the same mind. And I think the, the cool thing about working with Phil is a lot of times, even though we're very different as far as, 
you know, our approach to certain things, we're able to sort of uh, do a mind meld. Uh, oh, nice. Right. And and a lot of the there was very little sort of, uh, I think, creative conflicts because, you know, I can speak for, speaking for myself. I, tr I trust Phil's vision. And when, you know, you know, the part of it is always for me is never saying no or trying not to say no. If he comes up with an idea, he wants to do something. Go, yes, let's do it. Um, and I think that helped for me, at least keep it smooth, you know, but we shared a vision and and there was very little conflict I found. Yeah. I, none. I don't. I, oh, there was one, but it was it was over like I think like a hiring uh, decision. But anyways, hmm. besides, but besides that, oh, there was a little mystery drop but, there. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have got all kinds of academic mystery going to... on, man. <laughs> <laughs> but besides, but besides that, yeah, it's been it's been pretty smooth. Yeah, I, I'm also telepathic, so that's I was able to foresee your. Mm -hmm. troubles in advance yeah and i was telepathic too actually but oh. I, see, I see it from in my dreams so <laughs> I, I, I dreamt a lot of it actually yeah, beforehand sleep on the set <laughs> yo yeah yeah but i was actually seeing into the next thing oh yo <laughs> troubleshooting that's what it's all about <laughs> yo telepathic troubleshooting all right in terms of being on the set and working um on the film what for you guys is uh you guys have this phrase the guillermo moment the guillermo moment yeah what is that or what is it you were trying to achieve or what is it you wanted to hold guillermo well why don't jerome describe it because he pioneered the guillermo moment. the guillermo moment is a moment in the process where you push and reach for the stars the star being Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> um, Phil and I, oh my <laughs> Phil <God>. and I, <laughs> we have to be honest. The Phil and I, the first film we made was um, The Lonely Monster. And it's about a young girl who witnesses a uh, kid bullying somebody, steals his toy robot, and then she decides to make a film about bullying. But instead of having a bully, uh, she has she makes a film about this big alien monster, and she has to you know part of the story is her running around and trying to find a crew and financing for the film. So our original idea was why don't we get Guillermo del Toro <laughs> to be the producer? So when in the film when she goes to the producer and asks for money, the camera turns around as Guillermo, and he opens up a, uh, a case of money and she gets to make the film. Yo, that never happened. Oh, but that was our Guillermo moment, <clears throat> and. Um, in this, in Hum, there is a bit of a Guillermo moment uh, where we sort of pushed beyond, you know, we pushed push it as far as we could. And what it was was uh, when we were auditioning for the role of Sid, mm -hmm. um, there was a, f we, you know, we went through a number of auditions, but there was one audition uh, by a gentleman, uh, Neil Berghardt, mm -hmm. from the States, uh, and he killed it. You know, it was a video audition, and we, we were like, wow, he really captured the essence of what we're looking for yeah the only problem is oh well he lived in illinois yeah and we couldn't afford to bring him sid was the old man who suffered from dementia in the in the short that's right so we the guillermo moment was we said okay at first we we're like well maybe we, you know we obviously can't afford him so let's move on to somebody else but when we thought about it, we go no this is the guy that is the best choice let's ask him and we go look we really want you in the film we can't afford to bring you. Will you still like to be part of it? And he said yes. And he drove here. Yeah. His wife had like reunited with an old like college roommate or something from over 20 years ago. Something insane like Yo. that. Yo. So it was like a, a two-fold trip for them. One was reuniting with an old member and the other was acting our film. Yeah. And, and they put him up for the night and he, he was very gracious and it was wonderful working out for him. But that was the Guillermo moment. And I, it's it's kind of funny because we make fun of it. But in every 
creative endeavor, there should be a moment where you push, you just reach for the stars and you just forget about everything else and you just put it out there in the universe. Ask, go, mm -hmm. you know. I think so too. I think oftentimes I think we're so limited by, uh, I am at least, by the fears of financial loss or that you don't, you don't, you don't go out on a limb and say, here's a crazy idea. Everybody jumps at the idea and ignore all everybody saying this can't be done and just try it, you know. Just why why not? Uh, we had that philosophy with producing as well, which is, oh, here's an actor that we like. Why not ask this person? If there's a set that we like, why not try to get that set, you know? Um, th that way, I think we'll have a more realistic approach uh, to filmmaking as opposed to thinking, oh, no, it's impossible and limiting ourselves before we even try. And so I was glad we reached out to him. There's no courage in saying no. That's the problem. But it, everyone does it quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you can't use this space. No, we can't have this. Yeah, aspect. and you know, to be honest, it's I love the sound of no. Like when friends say no, I can't meet you for dinner. I'm like, yes, I could <laughs> be back in my boxers, like yeah. watching TV. No pants, yo. No pants, you too. Yeah, yeah. Sammy. Yeah. No pants club. But it's uh, you know, it's, to me, it's nothing sounds better than a no. Then I then I get to realize, oh, dates canceled. Oh yes, like okay, I'm gonna hang out at home. So like. Uh, yeah, I think that's why it's so easy to agree for the cr for people around us to agree with no because I think that's always the easier option. You know, yes just means a lot more work, but yes just also means a better film. So if we could convert that work to pleasantries, if we could convert that work to to a good time somehow, then I think we could always reach for the stars. Yeah. And you did ask because you went on Indiegogo. Well, this was the usual, mm. un slightly unusual path, I guess, you took to making Hum. So you make this little short film, uh, the one minute, and then you go now, you decide you're going to keep working together, and you go to Indiegogo to raise the money. And you end up raising 38, just under 40 grand, basically, 38 grand mm -hmm. and change. Talk about the Indiegogo process, because this is a new outlet now, obviously, for filmmakers, and something that you guys didn't have even just a few years ago. Uh, if I could just say, uh, first off, there's the lovely, beautiful Ananda. That's, uh, oh, she's waiting in the bar over there. That's my girlfriend. Can she join us? Yeah. Come on. Come on in. She seems rather embarrassed by it. Is this good radio, though, to invite somebody? Like, to Is this, I it's don't know. Life. Is, this, is it life? Hey, so she's... Um, Ananda's walking in. She's looking lovely, wearing a dress. She's wearing a black and white wow, dress. Uh, carrying a leather jacket. <coughs> so okay. you make uh, the Lonely Monster a nice little one-minute uh, short, and you decide you can continue working with each other. You still enjoy wearing lingeries, and you now are going to go. And you've had this discussion. You know what kind of film you want to make, and you decide now to go to Indiegogo to raise the funds. And you successfully raise just under forty grand, thirty-eight and change. So explain that kind of process and what it was, what that experience was like for you guys to go. Uh, as part of Indiegogo, because this adds another layer now. It's not just like going off and just making a film. It adds a whole little uh, can layer. I, can I ask uh, Jerome something? I was going to preempt. I was going to preempt it, but go ahead. I think we're on the same track. No, 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 no. This is a, this question will hopefully throw you off. No, it'll never. Go ahead. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it better throw you off. Uh, which is <laughs> okay. I don't Yo, know. I don't know why. Though. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm like the shit disturber in the studio. Yeah. But uh, uh, which is. Um, before the Indiegogo campaign, mm -hmm. did you think this film was going to happen? Because we budgeted thirty-five thousand. Mm -hmm. That's just to. That's almost just enough before festivals, before printing, <coughs> before any marketing, before promotion. Mm -hmm. This is almost enough to shoot and maybe enough for post-production. Mm -hmm. 
did you think before this campaign this film was actually going to be real or were you thinking if this campaign was not successful you're going to have to bail I'm gonna have to bail. Yeah. No. I. Okay. So this is very interesting. Okay. Uh, I am a luddite. Okay. I I don't like technology, uh-huh. uh, and not that it doesn't have its usages, but you know, social media and these kind of things are very very new to me. And um, I remember Phil saying, "You we 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 got it. We got a crowdfund. We got a crowdfund." In my mind, I was like. You know, I didn't understand how crowdfunding worked. I didn't understand how social media worked, and it was something that I just was not into. Okay? Did you feel like it was like panhandling almost, kind of, or like busking? No, it wasn't a moral thing. It wasn't. It was just like I didn't. I didn't see the value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Phil was like, "Yeah, we can do this. We can do this." And I was confident that we, you know, because of you I'm were confident so, about I'm it. I'm glad that you're confident about it. Yeah, that's what <clears throat> what I was. That's what I was getting at with that previous question was, were you, I hope I riled you enough to be confident about well, it. Well, it was, you know, Phil was confident that we could crowdfund it. In my head, because I'm, I'm a realist, I'm not really an optimist, I thought if it's not crowdfunded, then we'll just have to foot the bill. Right. To come up with 35 grand. Were you, were you prepared <coughs> to foot the bill? Because you know what? I was so confident I was not prepared to foot the bill. I was, I'll tell you what I was confident <laughs> about. We're getting the dirt now. <laughs> I was, I was, I'll tell you what I was confident about. I was confident the film that we budgeted for $35,000. It ended up being 38000 without post sort of um, some post stuff like promotion stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I thought the film could be made for $35,000. I also thought that the film could be made for much less, like 15000 if push came to shove. We could also, we paid the crew. We fed the crew. Mm-hmm. We did everything above the board. We paid our actors. You know, there we was got no permits. We, we got paid permits. For locations. Yeah. Everything great was Great locations. Everything mm-hmm. was above the line, you know? But if push came to shove, we could have done it for much less. And that's what, that, that was one of a fail safe that was in my head. Right. I was like, if needs, if needs be, uh-huh. there is a variance. There's a sliding scale there. Now, I think it's important to pay the crew. And as Phil mentioned before, when we discussed this previously, you got to pay to play, you know, and it's very much about our reputation as filmmakers and people taking us seriously. And I really wanted to pay that. And that was enough for me to go, let's go, let's roll the dice. Let's see Mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. It's a big number. It's a big number. But I think when you hit a certain mark, like if you hit 10 grand, past 10 grand, to me, it's just a blur. It's just a big number, you know? Yeah. And, well, this is the interesting thing about Indiegogo and Kickstarter because we were really trying to figure out which crowdfunder to mm-hmm. go with. Mm-hmm. And I think Indiegogo had the best rates because um, it was... Uh, I think they take a cut of 4% uh, if you make your full campaign and take 9% if you don't. But regardless, you could still you could still keep recuperate that money as opposed to Kickstarter. Also, Indiegogo was very smart. Uh, shout out to Aya Norris who works at Indiegogo and handheld us through that process. If you put in a large enough amount, <laughs> somebody from Indiegogo will call you and say, let's help, let's work together yeah. because they want to take that percentage off too. And they're going to try as hard as possible to get you to succeed. You know, So they, she, she, she contacted us very quickly and she gave us a package as to what to follow and what guidelines and also shout out to Sammy Union for helping us out as well oh, with the promotion s- and everything like that total amaze balls thank you no worries S- and uh and uh i think and, sh- and she had this package for us that was all outlined step by step mm-hmm. how to raise money and it was if we follow that to the t if we just you know 
just stop being creative for once and put on our business hats and buckle down and do the math with this workbook that they gave us, it works. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have one who's not too sure what's going on and what's going to happen or whatever, and then one who's confident and can't put the bill if this doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where the mind meld yeah. occurs. And so you flip the switch, and you go into Indiegogo, and you flip the switch, and you go. Mm-hmm. And the donations are coming in. Were you surprised? Were you encouraged? Were you? What was the? What was kind of going through their head at that point? I don't. I'll tell you about mine because I'm really curious about, to hear about what Jerome's is like. But um, yeah, we. So part of that package was you preempt your friends and um, family and closest people to help you on the first two or three days of the campaign. That's what it says. If if you don't make roughly thirty percent of your campaign money by that in your first three days, you are you are dead in the water because people love a winning horse. And if you if somebody sees a film about to be made, they're going to keep putting money into it. So to us, it was so important. We got the word out, and then and then it was just I think we made twenty two thousand in two days. Yeah, and That's the impressive. Am- the amount that was rolling of friends that I used to be they used to be so cheap towards me that would never foot the bill at a restaurant are have poured in in the thousands or the hundreds uh and the emotion that i was was trying to wrestle with was um was just this uh, this this burden of responsibility that you have to owe these investors a really good film even though we do have a really good film it's just this added pressure mm-hmm. and then and then also this amount of love uh, that you felt so I cried for two straight days until I finally until my mom was like just work on that film stop crying and so then I got back. Your to mom him. sounds like a good producer. <laughs> That's her real voice too. She's in the studio right now. Okay. Uh-huh. And what about you, Jerome? Then, as a Luddite coming, then not knowing or not familiar, comfortable, whatever term you want to use. Yeah. Now that it's real, that it, <coughs> that it actually is working. Mm-hmm. What were your emotions? I was like, "Damn, this is working. This is great." <laughs> I, you know, I, it's for me. It's it's once again, it's sort of like a very realist approach. It's like, okay, so the money's coming in. This is great. There's there there's steps in the workbook that says we have to keep on you know promoting it to uh, our, our on, host committed it our host committee yeah keep on keeping on and um, I was I was very happy um, but for me I think my concern at the moment was uh, sort of like okay there's a lot of time like it took a good month actually um, of promoting and, and and getting all the logistics down but my the you know at that point we were like less than a month or just a couple weeks away from our shoot date and I was like oh man we got like the script needs to go through some more drafts so you know what's interesting is the stuff that Phil worries about I don't worry about and the stuff that I worry about Phil doesn't worry about and I think that sort of helps in in our in our yeah you get a you get a black guy and an asian guy together and it's a great combination because collision of very two different cultures means that they excel in various areas that could cover each other mm. i i really do think that i i think it's a it's a wonderful blend of worries that we both have uh that made this film work mm-hmm. that, uh i i tell everybody this which is like jerome's the guy that would wait for information to come in to make a decision as opposed to the first piece of information that comes in, I'll immediately make a decision. I think it's just a good middle ground um, uh, to have in terms of, of of the creative process and also in business as well. Mm-hmm. And Jerome, I just want to go back to you from your perspective because um, I know obviously you and I have been friends for a number of years, but when you graduated uh, film school in New York, 
Kickstarter and these kind of opportunities did not exist. So you came out of the, I guess, the last gasp of the old system, which is that you either had to network or find a studio or find, you know what I mean? The old yeah. methods of finding money to do make money, like to make a, to finance a film. Bro, we actually cut our film with razor blades and taped it together <laughs> in school. And then I went out into the world just as everything changed digital. It was not a happy time, but it was a very good experience. And I think that's part of the reason why I was excited about working on this project, because I thought, you know, for a number of years, I've been thinking about getting back into filmmaking. And Phil is, I work really well with Phil, and I like him. And I thought this is a good opportunity for me to bring myself up to date on the technology and the techniques of the digital age. And so, yeah, that was exciting for me. You know, from crowdfunding to shooting on 6K on a Red Epic. Um, Were there any shortfalls with digital that you've experienced? Because I've never shot film. Shortfalls with digital? Versus film. Um, the shortfall, and this is sort of a, a common thing, is in uh, the discipline. So we're in the filmmaking world. If you're shooting on film, like you were saying, the pressure is this is money. If I'm screw up this take, it's money and I'm burning through film. Uh, whereas with digital, you don't have that. Um, that uh, Yeah, that, the, people are just like, yeah, there's another take, right? Yeah, but even then in the editing process, it's like, um, okay, you got to cut the actual film and tape it. And if you make a bad edit, you got to retape that bad edit and then we'll go over and recut that. And, and so what ends up happening is with the digital world, and I think this is it with anything digital, uh, there is no final cut. You can just keep on shifting things around to infinity. You know what I mean? And I think it, there has to be a point where there's discipline. You have to, you know, develop a discipline to go do make the hard cut. Mm -hmm. Make the hard cut. Is that kind of is it nice then to um, have that opportunity as well though? To obviously you want to make the hard cut because you have to get it out there. But at the same time, it's kind of nice to know that you can always go back and keep cleaning it up and editing or adjusting. I mean, that's why digital will always win because you could keep doing that. Like, there's, it's uh, you know that yeah that you could refine so many things. You could uh, that I that uh, I I don't see. Anyways, but you know, does it make it better? And I know that's a relative thing. But Phil and I, because I guess uh, when we do our mind sharing. Uh, we had the, uh, an interesting consequence of this is sort of like very stringent deadlines. So, for instance, we shot the film in May. Yeah, early May. Early May, uh -huh. and it's June. No, sorry, it's uh, so in June we edited it. Right. And then July and August we sound mix color. It's done. Three months. Whereas there are people that we know who shot their films, short films. Oh, and then like like a year goes by until until they release something. Uh, until they think it's ready to release the something. fiddling process. Yeah, yeah. and that's, I think, yeah. you know, the way that we've been working, we've been constantly pushing ourselves to, like, you know, do the best in as little time as possible. So I it's efficiency this, and this quality. Because of having worked in TV, which is we're just used to churning out product, that uh, I think there, sh there is a sweet spot in timing that there is no benefit of holding on to something for too long and releasing something too early. There is this kind of sweet spot. And to us, I mean, for goodness sakes, we're not, this is not a feature film, you know? Mm -hmm. We've seen Woody Allen put together a movie a year, yeah. you know? Sometimes so, two. Sometimes two. And we want to yeah. get on with that, yeah. you know? Exactly, you know, you want to get, you want to put in those 10,000 hours. And so for us, it's just like, 
okay, let's 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 do this. Let's do this well. Let's do this as fast as we can, but without sacrificing quality, and then put it out there, and then and then work on the next one. I like that mentality because I come also like I've done writing for like National Post and stuff, and so when the deadline comes, you just throw it out there, and regardless of whether it's good or bad or indifferent, right. it's gone, and you have to let them to let it go. You know what I mean? You can't keep eating it up, and so then it's on to the next one, like you just said, right? right? Like you. You can do your and we're, we're both also procrastinators too, because mm-hmm. <laughs> and so had had there not been these deadlines, it would be it would have been I think only our grandchildren would see the final product. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, also this kind of story is a little bit personal because like you had is it your grandfather or what was the uh, family? My Su- my grandfather on my uh, on my dad's side and my grandmother on my mom's side both suffered from dementia. Yeah. Did you find that th- their experiences uh, and the way you related to them did that kind of impact or shape your creative process as well? Or yeah, I th- I think it's a generation that's overlooked. I think it's a I mean it's not a disease; it's a symptom. Um, and I th- I think the caretakers like to use the word struggle as opposed to suffer because it is a, it's still a challenge and they're still human. Um, that uh, when I but they ha- they uh, that it the fact that it's so common in my family. And it's so common around the world, and it just hasn't been spoken about. To me, it was quite surprising, and it's not a really sexy thing to talk about. Um, and it's and so I we thought this is this is something we could share with the rest of the public too. This kind of knowledge that we have of the symptom uh, of dementia. So like, and my it's funny because my grandfather is like this happy, forgetful uh, Alzheimer's patient, and and my my grandmother is is the reverse, which she got really upset by it. And to see these two different kind of reactions to it was was like, oh, it's really cool and interesting. And maybe we could write that into the film. And you actually got the film sponsored by the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto or Al- just the Alzheimer's Society? It was a partnership. They partner- it, was a partnership. it was more of a partnership as yeah. opposed to a sponsorship. Spon- okay. Yeah. Um, they did a lot. They helped us so much. Um, you know, we went in there because with something like this, we want to make sure we're portraying it fairly and accurately and doing it justice, uh, which is why we went uh, to the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto. And they gave us two uh, fantastic uh, counselors, um, Suda uh, Vavilia, Vavilla mm-hmm. and Peter Marksik. Um, they were our script supervisors to make sure that everything was on point and that it checked out and that the characteristics that our Alzheimer's character was experiencing were, was accurate. Yeah, we didn't want like caricatures or... Uh you know, for us to make fun of uh, the uh, Alzheimer's that we we wanted to take. Yeah, that when they see it on screen, this is more or less an accurate representation. I haven't, I haven't had the same experiences as you, Phil, but I, it's you feel for Sid, the old dude in the movie. You know what I mean? Just kind of struggling and just he his struggles is just as real, too, as the as Oliver, the the main ca- or the oh, that's the actor's name, I guess. But just trying to fit in and just trying to just he just wants to chill. You know what I mean? And just like nobody will let him chill because you can't leave him on his own. And at the same time, he doesn't fit in anywhere. Yeah, it's 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 just it's man, it's just sad to to have somebody's memory disappear. And they had they led such a wonderful past life. And, you know, in us, I feel like our society loves to celebrate the youth and um, and not enough uh, the elder generation. And so we thought, why not have a, a slightly cooler, more empathetic, older, older figure as well? Yeah. So the the short now is called Hum, and uh, it's done. Is it done? It's done. It oh, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs> well, we have a launch party coming up, uh, August thirtieth, and that's that's when we're launching the film. It's a private premiere, and that would be a wrap. 
after that. Okay. And then after the the launch party, then you mentioned that you wanted to use it as a crowbar to kind of get into the industry a little bit or put people on notice. The bat light, right? Mm-hmm. That you're here. I guess you're going to submit it to film festivals or what's the the general plan? Yeah, I guess up next is the, uh, in order for the real world to validate the film, you have to submit it to festivals to get these little nice uh, laurels around your phone. Oh, yeah, those are nice. Yeah, yeah, Those yeah. are nice, right? Yeah. You know, we can make fake ones and put it on the poster, too. Yeah, actually. why don't you just make a whole bunch of film <laughs> I always feel like somebody do, does do that in their spare time. Yeah. Uh, like, we could make one up, like, the Scarborough... No, there's a Scarborough, there's a Scarborough Film Festival. Oh, there's, there's a Scarborough, Scarborough Film Festival. Festival. Yeah, yeah. we got to submit to that, man. But, uh, yeah, th- that after we do a round of uh, submission, and then we look for distributors. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then, I guess, after that, we talk to Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Okay. For the next one. Okay, and that you think is going to be another short with Spielberg, or are you going to do a feature probably with Spielberg? Well, we I think we need to test him out first, mm-hmm. just to see if he's like if he's good or not. But like if if we want to work with him or not, so he might be old man lazy now too, right? Just like yeah. yo man, you just do it, and I'll just put my name on it. We'll pr- we'll probably give him like you know like a PA credit or something just to see. Just yo, put him in craft services. <laughs> just <laughs> test old old Spielberg out, you know. Yeah. I th- I think he'll be all right. I think you'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> Just before we wrap up, I want to talk about the, the very, 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 very thing at the end. Blue Sky Cinema. You had a nice little astronaut just kind of just lounging on the uh, on the logo. Where did that come from? That's awesome. I don't know, Jerome. Where did that come from? This is part two of the Galero <laughs> moment. Right. Uh, this is another um, something that occurred in the first film that Phil and I made, The Lonely Monster. Um, well, at the end of that, we we decided to write a film, uh, a script called Burnout, um, which um, is about a, a character who uh, wins a lottery to go to Mars. Oh, yeah. So this is set in the near uh, in the in the what is it? It's speculative, speculative fi- fiction. fiction. So mm-hmm. it's set only like a few years from in now. A possible future. Um, and um, the the world is going through the sort of a depopulation program because we're running out of food. So they, the, the, this company called Blue Sky uh, has this lottery that sends people to Mars. And uh, it's all about sort of making people believe that, you know, the most important thing that you can contribute to mankind is to further it and to create that legacy. And it's all about this character who's willing to sacrifice his family, his friends, you know, his he wife. Works, his he works at a poor job yeah. at a company called Credit Card for Kids. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah. He's not really happy with his marriage. Mm-hmm. And so he's given this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Mars. And I guess the question that we both like to ask during writing of this film of was what, like, yeah, I mean, what would you do to sac to to be a martyr for humanity like how how would you want to be remembered mm-hmm. um and going to mars is kind of the fastest way to do it you'll be in the history books if you go to mars you'll be one of the first people so we had this character that decides to abandon his, his pregnant wife he's out he's out uh his pregnant wife and, and go to mars yeah. and um and that was it so the the company that was sponsoring this this lottery to mars is called blue sky and uh, we thought, hey, that's a pretty good name for a production company, Blue Sky Cinema. And you put the little astronaut beside it, lounging on the word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Phil actually created that hand. That's like hand drawn, or well, some of it. I uh, I sewed it. Actually, you sewed it. Okay. Sewed it yeah. <laughs> Would you go to Mars? That's where we're going now. Hell no. 
You well, wouldn't go. Wait again. Is this ba- is this is this because we don't know whether the development of a returnable rocket ship is available yet? Oh, and right now it's a one way ticket. Okay, well, you're gonna be buried on the planet. I no, no. I don't. I don't. I'll. I'll probably die. Okay. What I'll about this? Phil is looking at his girlfriend Ananda, <laughs> saying, uh, "Can can I? You go with yeah. Me? Do you mind coming <laughs> to? <laughs> it's the the rocks are nice. You know, it's a great view of Earth. What about this then? If you could upload your consciousness to a computer and that gets sent to Mars, so am I connected to that consciousness, or am I? You do are I have, that computer now. You don't exist anymore. Well, wait a second. Do Hold I have on. a choice to connect myself to? Okay, sorry. Um, this, this is an interesting Twilight Zone question here. I may not give you a choice. If you <laughs> okay. if okay. you upload my consciousness to Mars, to a computer, yeah, uh, to a computer, my body just flops. My consciousness to be transferred, or does it create a separate consciousness? No, no, no. I yeah, that's here. what I was getting at. No, no. I would take all of you and just dump it oh. into this. <laughs> Maybe without your permission, too. <laughs> well, it seems like we have no choice. So. <laughs> I guess we have to go to Mars. <laughs> but that would be a lot more easier, though, because you wouldn't need then food. You wouldn't have to worry about oxygen. You wouldn't, like, so... Well, th- then the enemy was boredom. I mean, if I'm just left staring into things as a program... Yeah, I can't even walk around. I can't walk around. What am I supposed to do with myself, you know? Besides chat with other programs, I guess. Which I guess could be fun. Isn't that what we're doing now? That's true. Yeah. But well, there could be other programs on Mars. You don't know what the aliens have. <laughs> <laughs> well, Do we want to go down well, this <laughs> Yeah. It's like, this is <laughs> a rabbit go. hole of a conversation. <laughs> 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 I, think it's, I, think, I think the whole thing is, I think we all want to know what it's like to be on another planet. I think that would be a cool experience. However, I do not want to die on another planet, especially when it, the average temperature is like minus 50 or something, like or minus 100. It ranges yeah, yeah. from like plus 30 to like minus 200. Or, I don't know. It just doesn't sound very comfortable. The but, closest, sorry. But the gravity, though, means we would have a little bit of superpowers. We'd be stronger and stuff like that. The, the difference <laughs> in the gravity. <laughs> is this true? Yeah. I can't. I can't okay. Because uh, uh, SpaceX, the Elon Musk, so they've been researching it and stuff like this. And so. There's a different, uh, I forgot what the percentage of gravity is or whatever, but we would be able to pick up heavier stuff. So we'd be a little bit Superman-like. We'd be Superman-like. Well, first of all, we're Superman-like amongst humans on Earth, but that's pretty much it. Everybody else around you, I guess, in Mars would also be Superman-like, right? Mm. Which makes our level of happiness flatlined, that we would much rather be stronger than our, than our friends relative to us than to have than to be equally as strong as everyone else then there's no reason there's no benefit to, to me being on Mars then if I'm super strong but everybody else in Mars is super strong you know what I mean mm-hmm. that's a good answer that's a good answer <laughs> 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 so no to Mars then is the final verdict this is the other scoop we're getting today okay if it was like the last year of my life then then sorry, babe. Bill is looking over it. May- maybe, like, I would. It, it would be nice to burn out in Mars. Like, the last year of Mars. You know, it's like you got one. No, less than that. Like, <coughs> like it's, it takes six to eight months to get to Mars. So you better be not sickly. You better be able to survive. Yeah, I'd have to be able to survive. I'd have to know when I die to, to go to Mars and then burn out there. Okay. Well, you guys, it would be nice to see before you, before I go, you know? It would be amazing. Yeah. Would you guys ever return to this other project, or would you, after, like, just want to start a new project fresh, maybe? Well, I guess I guess we'll be shopping it around. Or mm-hmm. um, The funny thing is, even though we wrote it a, a little while ago, how long ago was that? 
a year ago. Year year mm-hmm. ago, um, whenever we we tell the story to somebody, their eyes bright like lighten up. They're like, "Oh wow, that sounds really cool!" Like so, it has like lasting power. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think it's I think it's fresh. Yeah. And that's a feature. Could be. Well, our script is about forty minutes. Could be expanded. Yeah, it could be television series right now. But mm-hmm. we're. I mean, that's our goal is just try to shoot it, um, mm-hmm. and then think about where it fits in later. You know, we want the story to serve everything above all else the story to serve its purpose so if the story calls for an hour then it's an hour if the story calls for an hour and a half then it's a movie but so far it's an hour or 40 minutes yeah mm-hmm. around there okay so we'll have to look for that so just to recap then uh hum is now done the short is done you have the screening coming a uh, private screening party coming up on uh, the 30th and uh, I guess you'll be submitting it at various festivals and we can follow all the social media. What's the social media so that people can then find out? Yo, uh, uh, yo, 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 check us out. At, you know, <laughs> I just feel like it's such a plug there. Humthemovie.com. Uh, the Twitter handle is at Humthemovie. And we have an Instagram account also at Humthemovie. Okay. And this has been... A pleasure. And your name? Jerome. And this has been... A, a, a joy, a sheer joy. That was almost sincere. And your name? Uh, Phil. Thank you, guys. So we covered going to Mars. We covered uh, dementia. We covered filmmaking. We covered crowdfunding. I think we did everything, didn't we? I think so. Was this? A, is there anything missing? I had. It's like having a full meal. This conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I had a great time. And and thank you for the Coca Colas in the glass bottle. Oh yes, that's what we do here at Girth Radio. <laughs> But I'm sorry if you had to wear pants because we have a window in the. I know. Even though it's radio, it's like, you know what I mean? And I was wearing my tearaways, you know? So I know. It was just all the tease. But maybe next time we'll like. uh, Maybe we'll do it like when there's nobody in the bar and then we can just do like no pants radio. No pants radio? No pants radio. So we got to end it there. It's also NPR for short. Oh. That's right. Shucks. (laughs) How's it going so far? You tell me. Oh, I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time. It's great. I'm having a good time. Yeah. yeah you have a really nice studio here. I know. Eh? I'm Thank very you. jealous. Yeah, the shag carpeting and the nice little panels on the wall. And the uh, play the record uh, turntable softies oh, there. Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Yo. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Is we roll. <laughs> okay. Is that a Scarborough hookup here? Is that a No, that's a, d- a downtown institution. Yeah. It's one Is of the few. Is it still there? It's still there, guy. Um, it's because we've had that uh, vinyl resurgence. It's mm. kind of taken a little bit more prominence, I guess. So I don't think it's it's not <coughs> struggling, but it's not mm. doing well either, if you, that makes sense. It's kind of that middle ground where people that know, like yourself, mm-hmm. they go. It's Those a rec- that know, go. No, go. It's a, re- it's a record shop. Uh, that is this still on Young Street? Yeah. Whereabouts on Yeah, Not too far from the Zanzi bar. <laughs> Good landmark. Yes. Now I know where that is. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>